Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're really privileged to have Dr. Jim Connell on the show with us. So Dr. Connell's the co-founder and medical officer at Heyday Medical. So Jim is a doctor and a GP who's got a real passion for the field of medicinal cannabis and through his own journey to educate himself, became passionate about cannabis education and improving patients and doctors' understanding of this complex herbal medicine, as well as the endocannabinoid system through which it exerts many of its actions. With this passion for cannabis medicine and education, he was appointed the president of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians Australian Chapter 2021 to 2022, and he has co-founded a medicinal cannabis product and clinic company with the goal to create unique Australian-grown cannabis products for Australian patients. Through education, integrative medicine practices, and an expanding formulary, he hopes to be able to help Australian patients achieve optimal health outcomes and live their best lives. So, Jim, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So I guess we'll start off with, with the questions. And the first one is, can, can you discuss and explain the endocannabinoid system for us? Yes, that'd be my pleasure because for a lot of listeners, it's probably the first time they've heard about it or, or, or been educated in regards to this, this system. And thinking about that, you'd believe it was a, a small system that had very little influence you, you know, on the physiology of the body, but it's anything but that. The endocannabinoid system is a widespread system throughout our body with its main role to balance and fine-tune our body's responses to, to stresses. So it helps us respond to stress, pain, mood. It, it is pivotal in regards to our protective mechanisms within the body. It sort of helps us... Um, eat and maintain satiety and undergo metabolism. So look, its, it's roles are, are many and varied. And a good way of thinking about it is our body is like a complex symphony orchestra and the endocannabinoid system is like the conductor. So it's not always playing playing the parts, but it's there making sure that all those parts work together in, in harmony and trying to bring them back into balance to maintain um, op optimal health conditions for us to be able to thrive in. Excellent. So can you talk to us about cannabis and the cannabinoids that comprise cannabis? Because there are quite a few cannabinoids that, that comprise the, the cannabis plant. Yeah, so cannabis is a complex herbal medicine with hundreds of different active components. The, the most recent you know, counts are over 700 active constituents within the cannabis plant. Within the cannabis plant, the compounds that are quite unique to cannabis, look, there are some other plants that produce cannabinoids, but they're predominantly in the cannabis plant. And so these cannabinoids, of which there are around 160 of, are quite biologically active compounds. Some of the activity is through the classical endocannabinoid system, um, which is there to balance and regulate a lot of these internal processes. But many of the cannabinoids actually work through a range of different sort of receptor subtypes, neurotransmitters, enzymes, and have quite a diverse range of action. But the main cannabinoids that we're going to base most of our decision-making around when we're applying cannabis clinically are the two main compounds, THC and CBD, which are quite different in their mechanism of action, but both quite broad-acting medicines and are useful clinically across a range of different conditions. But outside of these two major cannabinoids, we also have a lot of other 
major minor cannabinoids of interest, then we're going to be seeing a lot more of these on our market hopefully soon. So things like CBG, CBN, CBC, THCV, all with different sort of potential therapeutic sort of areas where we could be fine-tuning our responses with cannabis. And these cannabinoids we're talking about are cannabinoids in their neutral form. So once they've been decarboxylated, where that carboxyl group has been taken away from the precursor molecules, the acidic cannabinoids, and these actually show a lot of therapeutic promise as well in preclinical sort of studies. So excited to see where the future sort of goes in regards to cannabinoids sort of science and its clinical applications, but there are multiple other compounds that are therapeutically active within the cannabis plant as well. Some of these, the most uh, probably well-recognized are the terpenes and they're the aromatic compounds within the cannabis plant that give it its smell, but they also dictate some of the, the mood, mood of the medicine. So you can have a similar product that has the same amount of cannabinoids in it, but with a different terpene profile and you will have different effects. So some products will be uplifting energizing, more creative, others will be more sedating, more relaxing, and have strong, stronger analgesic properties. And it will be these other constituents within the cannabis plant that are often creating these specific effects. That's really amazing. And it just kind of shows that that complex interplay where you actually have to think about the different component of, of cannabinoid you're prescribing to someone, combining that with, say, terpenes. And I guess brings me to, to my next question about the history of medicinal cannabis. Can you, can you explain to, to our listeners and viewers some of the history of medicinal cannabis, how long it's been viewed as, as a medicinal component mm -hmm. and, and its, its pathway to, to now? Of course, just on that, the complexity of the cannabis plant, though, we need to look at a different way with these pleiotropic medicines and look at network pharmacology, which is a new way of, I guess, studying how these are interacting within the body. But when you look at the, the history of medical cannabis, cannabis has been used throughout human cultures and societies for, for millennia with it with some some evidence that it was probably the oldest domesticated plant being domesticated around 10,000 years ago with evidence of cannabis being used as a medicine in ancient texts in China, all throughout the Middle East, here through Ro Roman and Greek sort of times, even through Renaissance and medieval periods, there's a lot of uh, references to cannabis for, for, for uses that we're commonly using cannabis for these days, be it be it pain, be it, be it sleep, be it for, for mood, mood disorders as well. But probably the strongest evidence for, for cannabis use historically comes in the 19th century where cannabis was actually used as a common medicine by Western medical doctors. It was brought into the limelight by a Dr. William O'Shaughnessy, who was a Scottish physician after his travels to India. And he brought the, the hashish back to, back to the UK and studied it in Edinburgh. And from that period of time between the 1840s and the 1930s, cannabis was one of the most widely prescribed medicines um, and was used across a wide range of clinical conditions. I think a hundred different clinical conditions where there'd been quite you know, a reasonable body of evidence, case reports and studies um, showing the benefit for medical cannabis, um, often you know, in, con in conjunction with other, other medicines of the time. Um, and and used you know for, for other things like uh for for poppy addiction and, and and aiding in withdrawal of of that sort of process which became a bit of a scourge um in the late 19th century excellent and currently what are the current indications for medicinal cannabis so 
in Australia, the, the indications are quite broad in that there's criteria that need to be fulfilled. And those criteria are that you're treating a chronic condition that hasn't responded to other first-line therapies and that there is some evidence base that cannabis could be a beneficial treatment for that. And because of the wide-ranging nature of the endocannabinoid system and its involvement in pretty much all chronic disease or the progression of chronic disease, then realist, re, really based on those loose criteria, cannabis can be, uh, a, an application for cannabis can be applied for for pretty much any chronic condition. But the, the most common conditions that cannabis is being utilized for, chronic pain being the number one by far, um, but then things like in, insomnia, anxiety, cancer-related symptoms, um, we also have a lot of neurological sort of disorders that we're using cannabis medicines for. But then there's things like autism spectrum disorder or behavioral disorders that um, are also where we're also finding benefit with, with, with cannabis as well. So it is quite broad and, um, and, and quite diverse as, as like, the, like the medicine itself. Yep. And I guess regarding those, um, those indications, and certainly as a GP, I certainly see people asking about the evidence for cannabis in terms of anxiety, depression, and that chronic pain and sleep. But also I see a lot of patients asking about using cannabis as an opioid sparing agent as well. Could you talk to us about some of those indications about anxiety, depression, and, and that chronic pain and where cannabis stacks up evidence-wise as an, as an evidence-based intervention for, for these indications? Yeah, look, this is a, a common common question we get sort of asked, and it and it is quite difficult when you think about the the plant nature, the, the the complex herbal medicine that we're sort of working with. That no two medicines are the same, and and so it doesn't necessarily one one product does not equal another product, and the efficacy does does shift and and, and vary. But in regards to those conditions you sort of discussed, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders pain, opioid sparing um, agents from a, from a preclinical sort of model and looking at the role of the endocannabinoid system in regards to these, uh, the development of these conditions and symptoms, there is a strong theoretical basis around how beneficial modulation of the endocannabinoid system could be in regards to improving the outcomes for patients with these issues. In regards to the gold standard of evidence, which is the, the large randomized controlled double blind placebo um, trials done by independent sort of um, bodies, the evidence is, the evidence is, is, la is lacking. Um, there's, there's been very few studies. There's little incent incentives, I guess, to do those studies on a naturally occurring sort of compound. Um, and the, the studies that have been done are very, are very mixed. So. You know, so in regards to anxiety and depression, you know, from clinically, I've seen cannabis be beneficial in the right patients, especially CBD predominant sort of treatments um, during the days of, as, a, as something that helps reduce the intensity of anxiety type symptoms in the evening. THC can be really beneficial in helping with sort of relaxation, unwinding, forgetting the stresses and burdens of the day and helping people prepare, prepare for sleep. But too much THC or chronic THC use can actually worsen anxiety disorders. And that's likely due to how it disrupts or dysregulates the body's endocannabinoid system further. So it's very much dose dependent and medication specific in regards to the results you're going to see in regards to de depression as well. Um, it would depend on the patient and their own uh, self-efficacy and capacity for motivation because 
THC can be euphorogenic, can help people with their mood, but it can also cause apathy or listlessness and, and a reduction in desire to want to go out and do things. So you want to choose the patient sort of carefully. If you can use cannabis in a way that helps them engage positively with the world around them, helps them to do exercise, to make social connections, to find joy in life, it's going to be a, a very beneficial treatment. But if it's something that makes them feel more comfortable staying at home and just lying in bed and, and covering, blocking the world out by throwing the doona over, then it's probably going to worsen their their outcomes in, in the long run. So the the way I see cannabis is a functional medicine. So we're looking at those functional outcomes rather than looking at the symptoms specifically. If Our goal should be around improving someone's quality of life and, and helping them engage more positively in life. And if that's being achieved, then I say that's a success despite what the scores might be in regards to anxiety or depression sort of scales or these types of things. In regards to pain, the the best best studies were probably done um, around 2015. I think Whiting et al. There was a, a NASM study, which is the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine in the States in 2017 that looked at the, the current evidence for cannabis across a range of different conditions. And they showed moderate improvement for chronic non-cancer pain um, from the RCTs that they looked at there, but since then there's been people looking at the same same studies, choosing choosing which ones to include and which ones not to include, and and the the results are are different depending on how people are selecting the selecting the products. And like I said, we're not always using the optimum treatments for those patients because we're not doing it on a, an individual basis because there is such interpersonal variability when you know when someone experiences cannabis and also you know so we have to choose the right product for that specific um, patient and then as an as an opioid sparing agent i think this is somewhere something that i'm really excited about the endogenous opioid system and the endogenous endocannabinoid system are co-located quite strongly throughout the peripheral and central you know, nervous system and peripheral sort of organs and they do have a lot of interaction together from Preclinical and animal study models, we've, there, there seems to be a cross-linking effect with THC specifically and the opioid receptors that increases the effectiveness of opioids. So a um, subtherapeutic dose of THC combined with a subtherapeutic dose of an opioid combined can actually make a therapeutic medicine. So this is going to be beneficial in, in helping people sort of get maximum results with opioids while being able to maintain the lowest lowest effective dose. Um, one of the beneficial things about the endocannabinoid system, it is ubiquitous to most parts of the body, except it is it, there are no cannabinoid receptors in, in the parts of the brainstem that control cardiorespiratory um, function. So combining THC with opioids, there can be a potential synergistic sort of benefit without there being an increased risk of harm or death associated with, you know, uh, respiratory depression or, or cardiac sort of depression. So I've seen myself significant improvements using the two together where we've been able to reduce the dose of opioids, sometimes causing opioid cessation, but generally it's a lower dose of, of opioid-based therapies and also to prevent people from going on to escalating doses of opioids as well. Um, they 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 seem to get longer benefit at a, at a stable dose. Once again, there are a lot of case series that support the use of cannabis as an opioid sparing agent 
observational sort of data, so patient-reported outcome measures that have been looked at. You see states that have legalised cannabis and you see reductions in deaths from opioid overdose or, or reduction in prescription pain medicines being being used. But then when you look at, once again, the large bodies, the RCTs, the evidence is, is mixed and inconclusive. That's a, that's a very detailed answer. And I guess uh, the, the thing that I wanted to ask, and it's probably the last question that we'll do in this episode of, of, of Cracking Addiction on Medicinal Cannabis, because it's such a big topic, we'll, we'll spread it over the two, is you mentioned patient selection and, and selecting for patients who are going to be proactively engaged um, with their therapies. Are there any other patient selection criteria you use when you're making the decision about whether or not to start someone on, on a medicinal cannabis product? Look, there, there are multiple sort of things we're going to be looking at. So, you know, often the, the, the patients that often respond best to medical cannabis are those that have um, comorbid sort of conditions that might also be uh, affected by modulation of the body's own endocannabinoid system. But with that, they come with a range of different other medications. So we're going to be looking for, for the, the med medication sort of interactions. We want to, you know, we want to make sure that that person also, like we said, is motivated. They haven't had significant issues with drug and alcohol abuse in the past. Um, they don't have end stage liver disease or cardiac disease or, or a few other things. But to be honest, it's mainly done on an individual basis and certain cannabinoids might be excluded from a certain patient, but we have access to other cannabinoids that might be beneficial and might be, might be safer um, in, the, in that patient population. Excellent. Well, I'd like to, to bring this episode to a close and, and, and certainly thank uh, Dr. Connell for his experience and, and, his, and his knowledge that he's, that he's given us on this episode. So Dr. Connell will join us in our next episode of Cracking Addiction while we explore medicinal cannabis in, in a bit more detail. So to the listeners and viewers, thank you for your attention and bye for now. Bye.